Y'all please have a seat and let's resume our uh, time of worship. I have a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, we'll start with a prayer announcement. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. First announcement is prayer. Uh, sorry, prayer. There we go. It's online. You can get online to the prayer meeting through our website. Uh, starts at 6 o'clock. We pray for an hour or, yeah, about an hour. Uh, next announcement is Life Group. Uh, that will continue. It meets at our house, Joni and me, at uh, 6.30 p.m. If you haven't had a meal, you're welcome to come and eat with us. We pray and love on each other, and we get into the Word of God. We're studying Philippians, and we'll continue our study in the book of Philippians. Uh, those are the two main announcements. Additionally, though, uh, Mumi, who does an awesome job in writing out your name tag and welcoming you to church, uh, she would love to have more people serving with her. So see Mumi after church if that's something you're willing to do. Just be here by 10, a little bit before the crowd, and you know, welcome people, write a name tag, and it's a good, it's a good thing to do. So Mumi would do that. Uh, you can see her if you're willing. Uh, lastly, uh, obviously the room is full, and uh, thank you all for moving more to the front when you arrive. That's real helpful for those who come in later. Um, welcome little Isabella Faith. And uh, yeah, if you think of Calvary Chapel and your prayers, please, please pray for wisdom and, and grace. We are talking with an architect about adding on to this building. It would be situated, hopefully, right behind where I'm standing. Probably some sort of connecting link to a building that would be perpendicular to this one. Uh, our thought is to have a sanctuary space that would accommodate a couple of hundred people and then convert this into more of a fellowship area. So, uh, yeah, just praying for that. Please pray for us. God will provide. Open to Genesis 22 this morning. Uh, Joining and I were away last weekend down with uh, Brother Calvary Chapel down in Cobleskill, New York. Had a good time at their conference. Uh, Pastor Eric stood in the gap and delivered a good message about worship. Uh, so I'm back and we will resume our study through the book of Genesis and we're in chapter 22. And so while you're finding your way there, let me just remind you of something that Jesus said on the evening of his resurrection, the day that he was raised from the dead. He came and he met with his disciples and it said that... Uh, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And so actually what he did is he, in that encounter with his disciples, he took them into the Old Testament. That's all they had, of course. The New Testament wasn't written. And he showed them, that's me. Oh, turn over here. That's me. That little scripture over there, Psalm 22, that's about me. Psalm 69, that's about me. Psalm 2, that's about me as well. I have no doubt that he took them to Genesis 22. And he said, 
That's especially about me. <laughs> so that'll be our goal this morning, to see the Lord, uh, to love Him with all of our heart <laughs> and with all of our strength, because He loves us so much. So here we are. It says in Genesis 22, verse 1, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, here I am. Uh, there's a number of words that are going to appear in this chapter that have not appeared before in the Bible to this point. Tested is one of those words. It's the first time the word test is used in the Bible. Uh, you're also going to see the word love appears for the first time. And uh, the word worship actually appears for the first time in the Bible, in this chapter. Testing, love, and worship, among others. And I'll point those out as we go. What's the point of testing? And when I say testing, I'm saying, the point, what's the point of God testing your faith? What's the point? Well, it's to make us better. <laughs> it's to refine our character so that we love God more and therefore become more fruitful than ever before. That's one aspect of testing. It's to make you better, to refine your character. Jesus said that in his parable of the good vine. I am the good vine. My father is the vine dresser. And what does he do? He prunes, right? There is a, it, it implies cutting away things that aren't necessarily good for us or things that are distracting to us. Things where we might put our attention or our, our affection or our trust in other. He cuts those out. Ouch. It hurts. If you think of yourself as a plant and here come the sharp scissors, you know, it's easy to theorize, but to live that, that's hard. The other side of testing, though, is to make God glorious through our testimonies so that others will see him too. I want to remind you, my friends, that Abraham is... We guess uh, at his age. We know that he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Isaac was the long-awaited son. And Abraham was 100 when he was born. Sarah was 90. Um, there's some factors which we could talk about later, but we think that Abraham at this point is about 115, which means he's been walking with God for nearly 40 years. So when it says... After these things, I think that that has a, that's a very comprehensive uh, way of saying after the, all of the experiences that he's had in his life, from the moment that God met him and called him to leave his home and to travel to the promised land, and then everything that's happened that we've read about since then, God has rescued his marriage twice because he was afraid of man, and he lied. There was a man of God who lied. I know that you have no concept of what that's like. Right? Of course we do. 
right? He caved under some pressure, self-imposed, or it was a lack of faith. And, but God rescued him. And more than rescue him, he blessed him each time. He, he got something way more than he deserved. He was, you would say, well, it's, that's not even fair. He throws his wife under the bus, first a pharaoh and then this guy, Abimelech, and, and then once the, everything comes to light, then she's restored, and then Pharaoh and Abimelech just give Abraham all kinds of valuable goods. That's grace, getting what you don't deserve. That shows God's heart. He's generous. God's grace actually means, brothers and sisters, it means uh, it, it's an activity of God. It's a verb. It's God showing favor to people. And that's what he does to all of people. He makes his sun and rain fall on the just and the unjust. He's just that good. But I want to say a word. There's not many of us in the room. But I want to say a word to you who are a little older. Abraham's an older man. And some of the most fruitful times of his life are now going to come later in life. The best wine is aged wine, so they say. The best beef, well, any beef is good, but the best beef is aged beef. Right? Aged beef. That's what we say. Well, maybe the most fruitful times in your life are going to come later in your life. And I happen to know a little bit about winemaking in the biblical ancient world and that it required uh, a pouring out and a straining because they would literally just take grapes fresh off the vine and then stamp those out with their feet but the flesh if you will the skin and the seeds and all that would get all mixed up with the wine and so to strain it you had to pour it through a cloth of some kind to strain out that stuff and then it would sit but there's still sediment that would go to the bottom they called those the dregs it's it's the remains of the flesh if you will and if you don't pour the wine off of the dregs the dregs makes the wine bitter and so that's the point of testing. It's a constant crushing and pouring out and crushing and pouring out again and getting the flesh out of our life so that we become fine wine. Our lives are reflecting more of the character of God. So that's a test. I will say that regardless of your age, the Lord is always working. He's always working. We don't always like it, but hang in there. Your God is faithful. He's going to complete the work that he's begun in you. Philippians 1.6. Correct? Yes. So, I wrote down here a little bit that, you know, the future of the church is in today's youth. Uh, perhaps the best fruit of the church is in today's seniors. And I do want to put a caveat in there, though. That, that requires on us who are older, to have walked with the Lord as best we can faithfully through all the years of our youth. So to you who are younger, I just encourage you, stay faithful, persevere. The Lord is good. He's gracious. And you will endure. 
and perhaps the greatest fruit will come later in your life. I stumbled across this, and I'm going to read this because I loved it. And I'm just vain enough to think that if I loved it, you will too. But uh, this is a, actually a hymn that was written by John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. But this hymn is called, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. And it seems appropriate since we're right out of the gate. We're talking about one of the, probably the greatest test in Abraham's life, the greatest test in anybody's life, especially a parent. But here's the, the words to his to his hymn. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request. And by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden heart, evils of my heart. Let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free. And break your schemes of earthly joy that you might find your all in me. Abraham's going to go through that today. And he's going to end up just so full of joy in his God who had provided for him. So really the message today is God will provide Trust him. He will provide. Isn't that what God said to Moses? I am that I am. Meaning, I am everything that you need always for all of your life. And we're always in the process of learning that, of becoming more childlike in a sense, which is just trusting in his nature and depending on him. And tests are good for us to lay us low, to get us to stop being so self-reliant and more gloriously full of him. After these things, God tested Abraham after really a lifetime of walking with him. And God said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. I don't know about you, but I don't see how you can say, here I am, without going like this. It's just an open-handed response. I'm ready, I'm willing, I'm available. What a beautiful response that he has when he hears the voice of his God, who has blessed him abundantly. Materially, that was way, way down on the list 
in the fact that God has walked with him and, and protected him and provided and, and given him mostly this promise that from his family line, every family in the earth will be blessed. And Abraham apprehended that. He gave that much thought and consideration. And he came to realize that someday someone will come. And that someone will bless all men. I have a question for you. God said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Do you know God well enough to discern his voice? Do we know God well enough to respond to him without reservation? Are you ready and willing to do whatever he says without any strings attached? That is the highest and greatest form of worship. When you fall on your knees and you say, Lord, I will do whatever you want. And it is just, you're just like, everything's in its right place in the universe, in your life when that happens. And this is where the church is most effective. When we collectively are doing that. Do you know the voice well enough to discern, the Lord well enough to discern his voice? My friends, you're going to discern his voice through his word and obedience to his word. And by the power of his spirit, he will confirm his favor, his grace towards you as you walk with him. And you'll become more discerning. So Abraham, just a beautiful response, here I am. God said to him, take your son, verse 2, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. That's weird. Let's face it. That's borderline absurd. Actually, it seems quite absurd. Now, I guess I said this once before. If you're not a Christian, um, it's verses like this can be a real turnoff. I understand that. Um, you are hearing this maybe for the first time and you're thinking, what kind of God would command a father to murder his own son. That is not a kind God that I want anything to do with. I understand that. I didn't understand that until I met God. And then this becomes precious to me because I see that there is a, a bigger thing at play here in that as he's, we're revealing the gospel that God the Father loves the world so much that he gave his only son, only son, John 3.16, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so God is putting that on full display. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. C.S. Lewis said, the troublesome fact, the apparent absurdity, is precisely the one we must not ignore. Ten to one, C.S. Lewis said, it's in the covert that the fox is hiding. <laughs> it's in the shelter. It's, in the, it's, it's beneath the surface, in other words. There is a reality that is uh, greater than what's expressed here between Abraham and Isaac, and it's Jesus and God the Father. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And that's on full display right here. Okay? So we'll go through this. Uh, take your son, your only son. By the way, it's the first, and only, first time that only son phrase is used. Uh, go to the land of Moriah. Uh, the land of Moriah. <clears throat> Moriah is mentioned twice in the Bible. Anybody know the other time? Second Chronicles. It's where Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles chapter 3. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So, you know, spoiler alert, but Abraham's going to travel to the land of Moriah, and there's a mountain in Moriah, which we now know is a particular place which is in the city of Jerusalem. And Abraham figuratively crucified his own son on Mount Moriah, which is actually the very place where Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem. Okay, so fascinating what God is doing here. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So there were some very specifics, uh, and then there's some things that are not so clear. <laughs> Just Abraham's used to that, right? God said, go, I'll go. He said, I'll tell you more when you get there. Right? And that's walking in faith. He also said to him to do a burnt offering. Uh, in case you're not familiar, um, I have a quote here from Theological Words of the Old Testament. It's a very valuable book that I keep on my bookshelf because it gives the explanation of every Old Testament word. And it says this about burnt offerings. By the way, the Hebrew, you'll remember this, the Hebrew for burnt offering, burnt offering is two words, Hebrew is one word. The Hebrew word is hola. <laughs> that's fun hola <laughs> right? burnt offering alone among the Israelite sacrifices the hola is wholly burned rather than partially the whole animal is brought up to the altar and the whole is offered in homage to God it is indeed burned but the burning is secondary to the giving of the whole okay so Burnt offering. Abraham understood that. I want you to let go of the one whom you love, and I want you to give him to me. I want you to take your hands off, so to speak, and commit the one that you love the most, the only son, and I want you to give him to me. And so maybe it's not a son for you or a daughter, but maybe it's a career path. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's uh, someone that you think you're in love with. It doesn't really matter. What the, the point is, Abraham's being challenged to say, I can't even love myself in this thing. I've got to let everything go to God. Abraham, here I am. Well, here's the deal. Wow, wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> 
Fascinating. Look at his response in verse 3. He rose early in the morning. Oh my goodness. He got up first thing in the morning. Do the hard things first. Amen. (laughs) Right? Just to get that out of the way. Somebody pointed out that it says he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Somebody pointed out that it might be sort of uh, slightly indicating here that Abraham naturally was very anxious. Yes, he got up early in the morning, but you wouldn't saddle your donkey until you're ready to go. But the first thing he did was saddle the donkey. It's like, we got to go, we got to go. Oh, wait a minute. I need wood. Let's go cut wood. Right? By the way, he's got a lot of servants. He's got a lot of animals. A lot of ruminants, as they say. Right? And, uh, and yet he took his donkey. So he chose to use his very own donkey to transport his son and, his, and the goods to this site where this was all going to take place. He got up very early. He settled his own donkey. And then he went and he cut the wood. So we see the father is actually doing all the work. He could have easily snapped his fingers and said, I need some wood. Go get me a donkey. Put the saddle on it. Get me some fire. Oh, I need a knife. Da-da-da. You know, and then just when we're ready to leave, you know, make sure you're done by 10 o'clock because we got to go. But he did all that of himself. It's the father is doing this. And the son, Isaac, I don't know where he's at, but he's probably watching, maybe helping. I'm not sure. doesn't say that. Number verse four, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Uh, on the third day, it seems really interesting to me that it would be the third day that he sees the place afar off. Then Abraham said to his young men, okay, so he took two young men with him. They are nameless to us, but he takes two young men. How many? Two. All right. He takes two men with him and he arrives at the place and then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, there's the first word use of the word worship and it's one of the most clear and beautiful expressions of what worship is. Eric gave a great message last week about our identity in relation to worship, right? Here we see worship. Abraham didn't have a guitar. He didn't go up there and sit around kumbaya with Isaac, right? What was he doing? He was obeying. He was trusting God's word because God had said from that only son, I'm going to bless everybody in the world. Well, we have a problem. Because if I obey you, then he no longer exists. So I'm going to trust your word, which you've repeated to me now several times. And I'm going to do what you said, even if I don't understand it. And I want to also point out to you, not once are Abraham's feelings expressed through this whole dramatic episode. Which is revealing to you and me that we walk by faith not by feelings. 
In fact, we're walking by faith in spite of our feelings. And certainly that was true for Abraham. I'm sure every molecule in his body is like, I don't even want to do this. But my God said it. He knows his God well enough that he's willing to obey him. He has come into a good understanding of God's character. So he said to the two men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Faith in God's word, obedience because of his grace, sacrifice because he's just that good. I would say that is one element of what worship is. It's faith in God's word. It's obedience by his grace. And it's some sacrifice involved. There is a cost involved. Because he's worth it. So verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they went, both of them, together. So uh, what he did is he laid the wood on his son. He laid the wood on his son. And then they left the donkey... Behind, they separated now from the donkey that transported them to the place where this was all going to happen. And now they're ascending the hill. And Isaac's doing all the work. He's got all the split wood that's bundled and tied onto his back. Wood is on the back of the son. John 19, he went out bearing his own cross. John in the Gospel of John is the only one that said that Jesus actually explicitly states that Jesus went out with the wood on his back. You see, that's why I believe Jesus is on his resurrection day. He talked to his men and he said, turn to Genesis 22, James, John, Peter, Mark, and all you guys. I just wanted to show you that that's me. Right? The wood on his back. He laid the wood on him. And they're going up the hill. And as they're ascending, the weight of the wood feels like it's getting heavier, I'm sure, on Isaac's back. And Isaac said to his father, these are the first recorded words of Isaac. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, That is so beautiful to me. Actually, what I see there, to be honest with you, is I see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As, because he knows that when he's done praying here in the Garden, Judas is going to come, he's going to get arrested, there's going to be a cross. In other words, the weight of what was about to happen on the cross was troubling him greatly. Just as Isaac is going up the hill and things are starting to fall into place, he's like, there's wood, dad's got a fire, but there's no animal. And so the very first words out of the son's mouth is a prayer. And it's essentially saying, is there an alternative plan here? 
I see the wood, I see the fire. You know what Jesus said when he got into the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, my father. That's Matthew 26, 39. And the father replied, here I am, my son. And he said, said, behold the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? That is actually the first mention of lamb in the Bible. And I asked myself, why did he ask for a lamb? Why not for a bird or a bull or a goat or I don't know? Why a lamb? How do you know he asked for a lamb? I don't know. <laughs> to be honest. And Abraham, his immortal words. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. I just want to point out that uh, that is a repeat of the very last thing uh, that was said in chapter in verse six. The last sentence of verse six. So they went both of them together. And now it's repeated. So they went both of them together. The point is, we have a very willing son. And we have a, and he's working in perfect harmony with the father. So we have the son and the father moving together now uh, in, uh, in this plan. And then, of course, comes verses 9 and 10. And it's interesting, the storyteller, I guess Moses is writing this, but everything kind of slows down. And he really makes us feel the, the effect of the moment. It's quite uncomfortable, honestly. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. So isn't that interesting? First, the wood is laid on the sun. But now that they've gotten to the site, the sun is laid on the wood. Which is exactly what happened when our Savior got to Calvary. They laid him down and they bound him to that tree. In this case, Abraham builds the altar. He binds his son now you can say, well, okay, that's so he can't escape. But I think it's also understanding there's just a greater meaning here. That he's also saying that the son is fully committed. He's not going to come down off that cross as he was mocked by his enemies. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Yeah, there's a moment of like. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, I wish we could be there. How did God say that? Was it Abraham? Abraham! Here I am. Here I am. 
Whenever God says your name twice, something big is in store. It's really important. Martha, Martha, right? Paul the Apostle was known as Saul. Saul, Saul. Moses, Moses. Samuel, Samuel. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So said our Lord on the wood. Those were the best thing Abraham heard in his whole life. And Isaac is fully aware his eyes are wide open. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God. Seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now I know. God already knew. You know that. It's not that God just discovered something. I think that was written for our sake. What was revealed was what fear of God looks like. That's what was revealed. What fear, what the fear of God looks like. And it's maybe not what you think, the fear of God. I highly recommend to you a book, and I, I wish that I had had more time in preparing for this sermon that I had read. I read it through, but I don't retain much. But it's called Rejoicing Trembling. It's by Michael Reeves. He's a really good theologian, and he's a really good, clear writer. And the whole book is dedicated to this aspect of what is the fear of God? And the title gives it away. Rejoice and trembling. Trembling in the sense of such unbelievable delight. There's such passion and ecstasy in the sense that your, your body is just that you have a, a response to God's glory and his greatness. That, that is a really great point of the fear of God. And I wrestled with it because that was not my concept of fear. To me, I grew up with this idea, the Old Testament fear of God is, it's, it's like a way of expressing our New Testament faith and that you have reverence for God. And certainly that is part of it, 100%, right? But he, he clinched it for me when he quoted Isaiah chapter 11, which is a prophecy of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. That's Jesus in relationship to God the Father. And so Jesus never was quaking in his boots out of, out of you know, don't, don't strike me down to God the Father. No, it was quite the opposite. I have eternal joy and peace in my soul because of the Father, because I delight myself in Him. And that is the fear of the Lord. Abraham, when God said Abraham and He said, Here I am, that was just, it's, that in itself is an expression of His fear. I have such understanding and knowledge of you, of your character and your goodness and your faithfulness to me, that you can ask me to do anything and I'm willing to do it. That's the fear of God because of who He is. 
And so if nothing else, my brothers and sisters, I pray that this story will encourage you in your fear of God, in your love for him, in in your trust, in spite of what is ahead of your life, in spite of the difficulties you're providing, experiencing, he will provide for you. He's that committed to you. That when you're right on the edge of, I can't go another moment. Don't give up. Been there, done that. Sometimes there have been times, in all honesty, I was like, I don't think I can go to church today. That's weird when your pastor's saying that. (laughs) Because you're just like at the end of yourself. And there was, there was all kinds of fears, but they weren't healthy fears. It was the negative fears. And I've learned, I've learned sometimes the best thing that a pastor can do is just to be here again, to let you know, just by just being here, God's good. We're going to get through this. Because you're all, we all walk the same walk with the Lord. We question his goodness at times. We feel alone. You think Isaac felt alone? It's like, dad, really? And together, Abraham, Abraham. What a word. And now he sees the fulfillment of what he was relying on in the first place in verse 8. He said, son, God will provide for himself a lamb. God will provide. God will provide. John Calvin said this, the example is for our imitation. That when we're in such straits, the only remedy is to leave the event to God in order that he may open a way for us when there is none. We pay him the highest honor when in perplexity we acquiesce to his providence. Do that, young people. That's part of the Lord developing you and and molding you. It's part of our testing. And so, one of the great lessons you learn, a, a sign of spiritual maturity is, Lord, thank you. To just go, thank you, Lord. I hate this, but I thank you because I know you're at work. That man is driving me nuts. And I so want to just get away from him. I'm just speaking generically, okay? Because it's often the interpersonal stuff, right? And the Lord's like, (laughs) nope. Didn't David say that of King Saul? He is the Lord's anointed. God is using that man to make me into a better man of God. Yeah, everybody knows my heart's after God. But that guy, his heart's not after God. And he's using his authority and his power and his resources to make my life miserable. I'm running around like a wild animal. He's trying to kill me. And David's like, no, God's at work. The testing of his faith, increased his faith and increased his understanding of God. I suggest to you, my brothers and sisters, that the word fear might be, might have some similarity to our word know. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
John 17, 3. No is gnosko in the Greek. And it's, it's knowledge gained from personal experience. We got to hang out together. You come to life group, we actually start to get to know each other a little bit more. Amen, Mumi? <laughs> knowledge gained on personal experience. I think there's some similarity there. So the fear of God. One day Jesus raised a widow, raised her son from the dead. They were carrying him out to put him in a tomb. I don't know, he was a young guy. Jesus arrives on the scene, and he got some pallbearers, right? They carry in this open casket, and here comes Jesus. He says, oh, just stop for a moment. He says, son, get up, get out of there. The kid came alive. Luke chapter 7. You know the response? Fear seized them all. <laughs> and they glorified God. So it was like, it was beyond. Like heaven has come down to earth. It's like, oh my, look how powerful he is. Good fear. I pray fear would seize us all. It's a response to God that is dynamic. Peter in John 21, he, he's fishing and, and John says to Peter, it's the Lord. Peter had been out fishing all night. What was he doing? He was casting his nets out on the sea. And John said, it's the Lord. You know what Peter did? He cast himself into the sea. He goes, here I am. It's the Lord. That's fear. Jesus standing at the empty tomb behind Mary Magdalene. She doesn't realize she turns around, she sees him, doesn't recognize him right away. I don't know. He says, do you know where he is? Show me where they took the body. Do you know? I want to I show proper respect. He was hastily thrown into a tomb. And then she turned back around. She's just grieving. And the Lord said to her, Mary. He said her name. She knew that. She knew her shepherd. Mary, oh my God, my Savior's alive. You know what she did? She threw herself at him. She hung, she grabbed his legs. He's like, don't cling to me, Mary. That's fear. Mary's actions to me are fulfillment of, of, of the words of the bride to her shepherd king in Song of Solomon chapter eight, verse six. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for your love is as strong as death. Your love is as strong as death. Here I am. That's fear. That's beautiful, healthy, godly fear. That was written for our sakes, brothers and sisters. Verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram. You know what a ram is? A ram is a male lamb. That's what a ram is. It's a male lamb. And the ram was caught in a thicket by his horns. Well, that is fascinating. Twisted branches are on the head of a male lamb. Wow. Wow. Abraham takes 
the male lamb and offers it instead of his son. It's stood in his place, which is exactly why we take communion. Because remember that Jesus stood in our place. He got what was coming to us. The ram got what was heading down Isaac's way. And the ram was offered whole burnt offering. Now before we go to verse 14, just do a good, healthy, biblical imagination, would you? What do you think happened? He took the bindings off of Isaac, who rolls off the wood. The the ram gets sacrificed. What do you think dad and son are doing? They are there with such joy, so much tears and love for God flowing out of their hearts. Look what he's provided. That's beautiful. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Yeah. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, by myself, so that clearly identifies that the angel of the Lord is the Lord, because he said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because of you, because you have done this and have not excuse me, withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. All right, then the last four verses takes a little side note to tell us that Abraham's, uh, what was it? After these things, it was told Abraham, behold, Milcah, it's the name of a woman, has borne children to your brother Nahor. What a name, Milcah. Uh, So she has a bunch of kids, and that plays into the story because uh, one of those are going to be Isaac's, uh, his wife is going to come from his brother's family. All right. Um, I just want to, point out something to you that um, verse 19, Abraham returned to his young men. Seems conspicuous to me that Isaac isn't mentioned. Isn't that interesting? It says that Abraham returned. Isaac's not with him. Apparently, probably, but the scriptures don't say that. And I think because there's a reason for that. Do you realize Isaac doesn't appear again until his bride shows up? What happens right here is Abraham goes back to those two men that I made such a big deal about. Because I believe those two men represent Jew and Gentile who are now reconciled to the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. And now, that's what's happened. Praise the Lord. There's a gospel for you, friends. Hopefully that's come out to you as clear as can be. 
So the elements, all the elements of the gospel are here. We have a donkey. Jesus rode on a donkey. That's what escorted him into Jerusalem where he could give his life as a ransom for many. And then he was separated from the donkey. They held him as the king, which he is and always was. Then wood was laid on the sun. He felt the weight of it, went into the garden of Gethsemane and prayed, asked if there was an alternate plan. The father answered. He said, no, son. He said, nevertheless, not your will, my, my will, your will be done. And then the sun was laid on the wood. A male lamb with twisted branches on his head is offered in our place. And it all happened, the resurrection happened on the third day. Interesting. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place. And then all men are now reconciled to God through faith in Christ. So worship team, please come back up and we'll prepare to take communion this morning. Uh, what we do is uh, I ask you to come forward uh, and <laughs> get my papers right. Yeah. Gary and Eric are going to play a little bit. Grace and... Uh, thinking of what to say. Why don't we stand? And, uh, and you please come forward. Come forward with the fear of God, with the love of God in your hearts, recognizing that Jesus stood in our place. to forgive us of all of our sin. So let's just rejoice in that. So please come forward, come down the center aisle, go back around and to your seats, and we'll wait and take part together. All right, please come, friends. I'll start serving. Coming. Come find come, come. your mercy, O oh, sinner, come. come near. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. Lay down your hurt, lay down your heart.
is hopeful of hopeless and all those who train come sit at the table come taste the grace there's rest for the weary rest that endures earth has no sorrow heaven can you lay down your burdens lay down your shame all who are broken will lift up your face Come on. 
Yes, there's joy for the morning. Oh, sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow. Heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow. Heaven can heal. Sing this chorus one man last time. Lay down your burden. Lay down your burden. truth, Lord. We come as we are. Even here, Lord, are we as we are today. Yeah, full of all the stuff that we're aware of and the devil's probably reminding us of, but the gates of hell will not prevail because of what you've done. You've taken his power away. The fear of death is now removed because you've forgiven us and you've brought us into relationship with God. I thank you, Lord, that sometimes we feel like we're not worthy of this because of the way we've been living in compromise. It's for that very reason that we're here. Trust in what you have said. You said, it's finished. I've paid the price. I've paid the debt. The case is closed. Thank you, Lord. Help us to grow, Lord, into a greater love and fear, knowledge of you. We thank you for the testing. We thank you for the words. I thank you for the body of Christ. We're not alone. (laughs) We praise you, Lord. Church, let's partake of the cracker and juice together. Go right ahead. Praise the Lord. Not sure what that's all about. Well, I bless you all. <laughs> Better bring that to a close. I love you guys. The Lord loves you so much. Walk with the King. Be a blessing. Amen. 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 Amen.